everyone. Today is a very special podcast because it is all about one of my favourite witchy book series, The Apprentice Witch series, which is written by James Nicol and published by Chicken House. And it is the blog tour this week for the third and final instalment in The Apprentice Witch series, which is called A Witch Come True. So I got to chat with the lovely James about the inspiration behind the books and what his plans are for the future. And I also tried to winkle out some clues about what we could expect from the third instalment. So now we're going to hear from James. But before we do, I just want to let you know that when I spoke to him, I hadn't actually read A Witch Come True yet because I hadn't been sent an advanced copy. So after the interview, I will let you know what my thoughts were on the third book and whether it lived up to the expectations and intrigue that James set up during our interview. Enjoy! So for today's magical podcast, I have got James Nicholl to talk to us about his um, Apprentice Witch series, one of my most favourite magical series, and I am a huge fan of magical books. So I'm delighted, James, that you were able to come and talk to me this evening. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's very nice to be here. You are most welcome. So could we just start by having you tell us a little bit about the Apprentice Witch books, please? Absolutely. So um, the the series starts off with the first book, The Apprentice Witch, and we meet Ariane Wynne Gribble, who is the main character. And Ariane Wynne is a witch um, and she um, she's always been a witch. It's not a surprise. She doesn't suddenly discover she has magical powers one day. Um, she's been raised as a witch, but she's not the kind of fairy tale, hairy chinned, green-faced cackling sort of witch my witches aren't like that um she's a, a helpful witch the witches in the world of the apprentice witch are there as public servants so magic is something that everybody has to deal with and if you have a magical problem then you summon your local witch to come and help solve it for you so somebody said it was once a bit like um the worst we worst witch meets call the midwife <laughs> <laughs> um except there's no babies being delivered no. and um yeah so um and in the first book Ariane Wynne at the very beginning is going for her evaluation test which is to me- measure how much magical energy she has and to sort of kind of guesstimate how much of a powerful witch she's going to be as she goes out into the world and something goes wrong with her evaluation and she fails and she's completely devastated because this is all she's ever wanted to do all she's ever hoped to do her grandmother is a witch and her mother was a witch as well and so she feels she's really letting letting her family down um but her grandmother is quite an influential witch as well and she pulls some strings much to Ariane Wynne's anger really and gets Ariane stationed to this tiny little town in the middle of nowhere um called Lull and they sort of send her there thinking well we'll send her there and she you know she can just sort of bumble about for a few months and then take her evaluation again and hopefully in that time she won't get into too much trouble or kill anybody and <laughs> um and they've sort of 
forgotten rather stupidly that Lull is right in the on the edge of this gigantic magical forest called the Great Wood and uh, there's all sorts of magical creatures that live in the Great Wood and some of them have started to come out of the Great Wood and sort of cause trouble around Lull and Ariane sort of arrives into the midst of this um, has lots of kind of local people that she has to deal with some are a kind of pompous and annoying like the mayor, Mayor Belcher, um, who's so pompous he wears his mayoral sash even when he's got his pyjamas on. Mm-hmm. And uh, and some nicer people. So she meets her, her very best friend, Sally, um, and, um, and her supervisor, another witch called Miss Delafield, who drives a, a racing car and drinks uh, blue cocktails. And... Um, and throughout the course of the book, she sort of deals with this knocked her confidence that she suffered at the beginning of the of the story and also starts to unravel this mystery about herself um, and and this the the issue around failing the the magical evaluation test, or did she really fail it? Mm-hmm. I'll just leave that one with you there and then in the second book um she's given a secret mission which is to go off into the great wood and retrieve this lost book of magical spells and the uh they send Ariane because she's the only one that can read the pages of the book if anybody else opened the book the pages would look completely blank but when she opens the pages she can see the magical symbols that are there the magical symbols that the witches use which are called glyphs and um and it's really important that somebody retrieves this book uh, for kind of the safety of the kingdom and this, then the development of the of the skills of the witches as well. So um, Ariane, when, um, even though she's a, a young uh, sort of witch, she's sent with this massive mission um, and it's a secret as well. She can't tell her friend Sally about it and it kind of it causes all sorts of problems keeping these secrets and, and cuts her off a little bit from those nearest to her as well so that's the second book and then in the third book um, which will be out in March um, it it kind of picks up almost immediately after the end of the second book takes us into the winter um, uh, which alone which is the second book happens throughout the autumn and then we go into the winter with the third book and uh, we get to see a little glimpse of what some of the winter traditions are in Lull and Ariane finds herself kind of in the midst of all of these weird and wonderful things that that the witch has to be involved in in Lull um, during the winter all of these strange peculiar traditions that she's not familiar with and there's also lots of trouble, other sorts of trouble as well that, that's brewing. Um, I don't want to give too much away because if I tell you too much about the third one, it spoils the surprises in the second one. Yeah. Um, but yes, there's lots of there's lots of snow. There's some lots of lots of new magical creatures, including some tiny little icy creatures, which are called nitherings, um, which um, is actually based on a on a Yorkshire phrase uh, nithering which means really cold um, so that was kind of the the um, the inspiration for these pesky little ice imps called nitherings oh. and these rather beautiful I, I picture them as being very beautiful gigantic kind of skyborne jellyfish called mordants um, mm-hmm. which are quite deadly and you certainly wouldn't want to get tangled up in their tentacles yeah. um, so we have we have just those couple of of creatures but there's there's some others as well which I won't 
won't spoil the surprise. <laughs> no, I'm very excited to read it. I can't wait for it. March is actually my birthday month. So I'm oh, well. I'm myself for a copy for my birthday, aren't I? Yes, definitely. I was thinking, I was thinking oh, March, maybe that's the wrong time of year for a wintry book to come out. But judging no. from how wintry it was this March, I think it's probably perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we almost had to cancel my son's birthday party because it snowed and no one could come. Thankfully, we didn't. We made it. But um, yeah, snow in March is quite common at the moment isn't it yeah i think our winters seem to be getting later don't they so they do anyway enough of the weather back to (laughs) um we've kind of just touched on this already um you mentioned that arianne Wynne's initial assessment didn't go quite as she had planned now i was just wondering she does seem to be plagued by self-doubt why did you decide for her to be like that rather than super confident um because I think it's more realistic. I don't know anybody that's really super, super confident. And often the people who do appear to be super, super confident are often those more crippled and plagued with doubt than than just the kind of average person on the street, I suppose. Um, but partly it was it was through a personal experience of my own um, at school, I'm, I'm afraid to say, where a teacher basically told me, I would fail something before I'd even tried to achieve, even before I'd even started to learn something. They oh, said, no. you know, you will think you'll find this a struggle and you probably won't pass any of your exams. And That's yeah, awful. I know. <laughs> I, know. I sound like I went to school in some sort of Dickensian novel, yes. um, but I didn't. Um, and I was sort of, that really did knock my confidence and, and I wasn't yeah. sure what to do. And, and I, I didn't go back. I left and, and went and studied somewhere else and passed all my exams and didn't find them particularly a struggle, you know. But um, no. And that, I think those sorts of things, I wouldn't say it plagued me for, you know, it's plagued me to this very day. But it was all, you know, somebody says that to you and it really does sort of have a, a knock-on effect. And you start to think, oh, perhaps I'm not going to be very good at finding mm-hmm. a job or doing this or doing that. And and so when I started to write this, the story of The Apprentice, which that kind of that that thought popped into my head about being told you'd already failed at something before you'd achieve, even tried to achieve it and testing somebody you know we as a as a nation we seem to be obsessed with testing and testing yes. and testing um and yes I think sometimes it's necessary but um I I think you know testing somebody on something there was no way in in the story that that just by you know pressing this metal device against the witch's hands to measure how much magical energy they have that's not going to give any indication as to how good a witch that that person is going to turn out to be and so I want that that was kind of replicating my personal experience a little bit um and yeah that was that was sort of where that came from but I think we do we do all doubt our own abilities a lot Mm. um and I think you know particularly when we're young it doesn't take a lot to say something to a to a child or a young person to really knock their confidence um and but I wanted to also show that even though she gets her confidence knocked she's a bit of a you know she she keeps trying and she keeps trying to do the right thing Mm. and even though she has colossal you know mistakes one after the other a lot of that is to do with her self-doubt um rather than actually anything being wrong with her magic or her ability and at the end of the story without spoiling the end 
it's not really her magical ability that 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 makes the that sort of saves them all if you like it's it's not anything to do with her her magic it's to do with her herself her character her personality um that kind of wins the day yeah brilliant thank you that was a really good answer and interesting and i'm sorry that your score was so horrible to you. <laughs> i've got teacher. over it now i yes. only, i only curl up and shake in the corner a couple of days a week oh well that's okay i'm sure <laughs> all right um so in your stories one of the things i also loved was um these magical glyphs that you had created um through which the um, witches control the natural flow of magic. Now, there are five main magical symbols that most witches um, can see and control. Where did you get the idea for the um, the glyphs and the symbols? Was it based on something else? or? Um, well, oh, well, you tell me. You have a look and look at them and see if you think they look like anything else. Um, but while you're having a look and a think, I'll, I'll explain where my thought process came from. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I originally I was really keen on Ariamwin using a cauldron and kind of using potions to to control the magic. I didn't want it to have you know a wand and a cauldron and and a spell book and all of that stuff because I I wanted to kind of try and make my witches a bit different from what we've seen before. Yeah. And I so I I love the idea of a cauldron and I thought oh you know I could just picture kind of you know sort of knelt in front of this cauldron and and bubbling up a a potion and then I thought well practically though if you're being charged up by some magical monster that's about to eat you by the time you've lit the fire and got the cauldron bubbling and boiling (laughs) away the monster's going to be chewing on your you know lower leg by the time you've you've got the the cauldron up to a boil um so that's not really practically speaking a very good idea um and then I thought about wands and but I just thought wands are so associated with Harry Potter um Mm -hmm. and I just you know I I you can't top that really can you so I just thought no I'm not going to have wands and then I thought well what else is there and whilst luckily I don't have to do a lot of proper research in my books because it's all fantasy and, and a lot of it's you know just made up um I did look at kind of you know different methods of magic and I knew a bit about witches anyway and so I liked this idea about the the symbology and and the and the shapes that they would use um in different ways and I knew I couldn't realistically use anything actually used by witches um or you know, nobody would want to buy my book because they would think I was trying to convert all their children to become, you know, devil worshippers or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, for a while, through the drafts of the book, I just kept putting magical symbol or eventually I did know I was going to call them glyphs. So I did, I just put glyphs. And in one of my notebooks, I've got page after page of of different ideas for how the glyphs would work and what they would be called and you know the the properties and how and whether it would be one glyph or a combination of glyphs or and I just I just couldn't quite settle on it and then I was doodling one day and I drew pretty much the shape that became Bria which is the air glyph which is quite a swirly um, shape and looks a bit and this is where I'll give it away did you want to have a guess first about where you think the 
the kind of the shapes came from well they reminded me of um runes at kind of first oh okay yeah runes not bad so what i i mean this was a completely not conscious decision really um it was only when i then sort of went oh that looks a bit like a musical note aha um so and somebody said that the that bria looks a bit like a bass clef now i'm not particularly musical but my partner is so we have lots of music everywhere yes. <laughs> in fact I'm surrounded by it at the moment um so I think that again had sort of subconsciously snuck into my brain a little bit um mm. and so as I started to doodle I was kind of thinking about musical notes with the sort of the staves and then also the shapes of numbers so some of them are, are loosely based around number shapes um and and occasionally based around letters but there's always the familiarity of the the three dots and the three staves to give a sort of a continuity to them as well um so that was how they they evolved and the 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 actual images that are in the book are actually from my original drawings of the the glyphs they weren't redrawn by anybody professional they're just they're just little um scans of my original doodles which is really exciting yeah and I was really it was really lovely touch to include them in the book so each time they're used in the book for the first time you do actually see a drawing of the glyph um and there's always a glossary of them at the back of the book as well so you know which is which which is really lovely oh that's really interesting I do play instruments so I'm gonna have to go back and have a look now and (laughs) oh yes of course it is how obvious now you see it oh that's great no thank you um, so you did mention the the Harry Potter series. And yes. funnily enough, I do mention it in my next question because one of my favourite parts of the first book is when we're first introduced to the Spellorium, mm. which is where Ariane Wynne um, lives when she takes up her apprenticeship in Lull. And it's one of my absolute favourite descriptions of all magical places on a par with when you kind of first meet Dumbledore's office or the burrow, it's kind of up there oh. in my magical Yeah, it just gives you such an, a vivid, you can really imagine it in your head. I just love it. It's a really favourite part for me. And I was just wondering, um, was it based on a collection of things, objects you had seen or a place you'd visited and you built on? Um, I No, not particularly, but I do love... I love it in books when people arrive somewhere for the first time and step into a a building that they've not been to. Um, I love it in, in Rebecca when she gets to the house, when she gets to Mandalay and you just know, you just know the shape of that house from, even though it's not, you know, it's not written to such an extent that, that it's specific but I just think I always get such a vivid idea of of the the place and a sense of place from from that story and so I I wouldn't even try to to say I was trying to do something anywhere near that clever but I do like places in books and so I wanted to make sure that there was this place that Harry Amwin had that was there was a familiarity to it but it was also different and unusual and it was somewhere that was her was her own place as well um and it then sort of becomes like like our place as well as as the readers it's kind of like our 
safe place with with her um but in terms of basing it on anything I don't think I did really I suppose I was imagining kind of like what a really old-fashioned chemist shop would look like perhaps with kind of lots of little drawers and big bottles of things I didn't in my head it doesn't look overly kind of scary you know there's not skulls and cobwebs and things like that and candles dripping everywhere it's it's a you know it's it's quite um it's quite clean most of the time um although some characters you know run their fingers along the (laughs) shelf and give it a bit of a you know oh it'll be nice when you've tight cleaned it up a bit Mm -hmm. um but no I just I I don't know I it just it was interesting because in the very very first drafts and in the very first scene that I wrote of the book um Ariane wasn't even going to live in Lull itself she was going to be given this cottage that was kind of outside of the town and it was going to sort of isolate her even more from from everybody um and then as as I sort of revised the story and things I I realized that that wasn't really ideal um and it raised all sorts of other questions about um the fact that you know she is only 15 years old and how appropriate is it for a 15 year old to be living on their own in a cottage outside of town um which I know some readers have sort of struggled with the age and and you know sending somebody that young away to work but in the imagined time period that I had because obviously it's not set in the real world I was thinking it was kind of like the 20s or 30s or 40s um and people were sent away to work at that young age from their family so in my head it it kind of made sense but yes it was originally a cottage and then I thought no that's not that's just not going to work and then for quite a long time it wasn't even called the Spellorium it was called it was just called the Witch's Store and it was my lovely editor Kezia at Chicken House and she was like can you come up with a name for the Witch's Store that's not the Witch's Store we just feel it needs a a a play an actual name and I was like oh what (laughs) which is like (laughs) oh no and this was quite late in the in the editing process as well um and I I sort of spent a morning kind of scribbling down all sorts of things and jamming words together and and then I sort of came up with spellorium because it was kind of like spells which which and then the kind of emporium um, which I think is a lovely magical sounding word anyway. Yes. I thought if you squeeze those two together, you get spellorium. Um, and I tested it on a few people and and it was a real kind of Marmite word, I think. Some people went, oh yeah, that's quite good. And other people went, oh no, I don't like it at all. And I was really doubting it when I emailed Kessie and I said, what do we think about spellorium? Um, I was thinking, oh goodness, if she comes back and says she doesn't like it, I'll be devastated because I can't think of anything else. Um, But thankfully she, she loved it. Um, And I think, you know, lots of people luckily have had similar reaction um, that they, you know, they really like the Spellorium. They want to go and visit it. They can really imagine seeing it. So I'm, that's wonderful. That's just what you hope happens when you, when you write these things down on the page. And, and of course you can see it in your imagination because you're, you, that's, what's happened but you you hope that in some way in the writing process that and the imagination of the reader it all kind of connects up and and they picture something perhaps not exactly as I imagine it in my head but at least picture something that feels real um to them 
Yeah, no, it's definitely one of my favourite parts of the Thunderbird. It's such a kind of snug, safe, magical, special place. It's one of one of my favourite parts. Oh, thank you. So you did a really good job. Um, now, in the second um, book, things take a slightly darker turn for Ariane Wynne. And you said in the third book, things kind of continue in that vein. Do they do they improve at all over the course of the third book? <laughs> and is it and is it the final in the series? Is it a trilogy, or are there going to be more? It's a trilogy uh, for now. We're, right. we're, that's what we're saying. So, um, the, we're we're going to sort of bring things come to a, a nice, neat conclusion, mm-hmm. um, and and we're going to leave them as they are for the time being, and perhaps come back to them at some point i really love um there's a, a an adult author called robin hobb and she's written a, a magnificent series of i can't even remember how many books now but she does them in groups of, of three so she does them in trilogies but they are all connected and linked and if you read them as a whole obviously it all makes wonderful slightly confusing sense in a way um and i've always thought that's a wonderful way to approach it so the, the first three books and then the second three books don't have any characters in common, particularly. They're okay. set in different parts of the world. Um, and I think that's a really interesting way to approach writing a, a longer series of books um, so that the reader gets to experience, you know, different things. And I don't think it's something that's been particularly done in, in children's books. So I'd, I'd be interested in doing something maybe like that. Um, yeah. But it's just... I think for now it's nice to, because I've been writing these since 2012. Yes. <laughs> um, so it, it, I do feel like the characters might want a little bit of a break from me yeah. making horrible things happen to them all the time. Um, and I'd like to go and, and create some new worlds and, and meet new characters and, and kind of play with some of the ideas I've been having over the last few years as well. So, but um, yes, things do get better in the course of, of book three from where we kind of, there's, you know, there's there's a lot of questions left at the end of book two, um, particularly around some characters that are in precarious situations um, and things do get better in the third book and then they get worse. Um, but um, yes. I think you know I wouldn't I wouldn't leave everybody in peril um at the end of of the third book that would be too mean um but yeah you'll have to have to wait and see how everybody ends up and where everybody ends up and 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 things like that in March but I'm so impatient (laughs) a long time till March (laughs) oh it's not it's less than 100 days I have a little countdown on my phone Um, yeah and it's less than 100 days to go till it comes out now Um, no it'll be here before you know it once we've got Christmas out of the way it'll just be like it'll just be there (laughs) amazing right I'll be (laughs) pre-ordering so my final question is a book that's mentioned in your book and it's um, the book that Ari Anwin is armed with as she heads off um, to Lull, the Apprentice, which is handbook. Yes. And you do get kind of little quotes popping up at the end of chapters in certain places. And I, for one, would love a copy of the Apprentice, <laughs> which is handbook. Is that something you consider doing as an addition to the series? 
Um, I don't know. Interestingly, originally the original title for The Apprentice, which was The Apprentice, which is Handbook. Yeah. Um, and there were lots more. There were more entries um, originally. I, I can't remember. There were there were almost I think there was an entry for every chapter. Right. Um, only like a very small snippet. Whereas in the end, what we decided to do is have fewer um, entries, but make them a bit longer. Um, so, yeah, there, there, what, there is more material. Um, whether there is quite enough for a whole handbook, <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> Could be more of then, a pamphlet, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And that was sort of, um, that, there was a lot of that which which kind of influenced the, the idea because as I said it was kind of the 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 imagined time period is sort of like the 30s and 40s and Mm. and that's how people got a lot of their information was from books and pamphlets and I had or still have somewhere um a, a quite a chunky book that my grandmother brought for me um from like a jumble sale or something and it was a um a handbook on needlework and and sewing mm-hmm. um and I think she bought it for me because she knew I liked sort of old-fashioned looking books yeah not that she thought I should be learning to sew okay. um although I think everybody should learn to sew That's a good um, skill, yes absolutely and I can I can do buttons um quite comfortably but that's about it um <laughs> and I just and it just made me think that you know we particularly in our in our modern world we just go to google or you know go to youtube if we want to know how to do something that's that's kind of the quick way of doing it but we did used to rely a lot more on these on these books and they were kind of presented in a in a way that now perhaps seems very old-fashioned and and I thought what would it be like if you were presented with a book on how to be a witch that's kind of a bit out of date how would that you know that's not really going to help your, your confidence much, is it? When no. you've kind of like, here's a book that might help. It's about 50 years out of date, but give it a whirl anyway. Yeah. Um, the basics are still fine. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and actually, she does use it quite a lot. Um, and then in the second book, she's given another. Um, so her grandmother runs a magical bookshop um, and and has this kind of, there's sort of this residual magic in the bookshop that's kind of linked to grandmother that when um, the the person closes their eyes and sort of summons a book from the bookshop and the book that they need most will come to them, even though they might not know that that's the book they need the most at that point that they get it. Um, So the first time Ariane went, um, gets the apprentice which is handbook and isn't very pleased about it um at the second time it's not quite so magical her grandmother just says oh I think you might like this one this is a this is one for newly qualified witches and it's called a witch alone which um obviously mirrors the actual title of the book as well um and that's kind of that's a little bit more advanced so um I'm not going to tell you what there is a there is a book portion kind of a handbook type portion in the third book but it's not really a textbook um, entry it's something more personal mm. um but I'm not going to tell you what it is because it'll be a nice oh, surprise it'll be <laughs> such a tease <laughs> oh lovely I have to make sure I look out for that thank you 
Right. Well, that has brought me to the end of my questions. So I'm going to say thank you very much again for um, taking the time to talk to me this evening. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me on. That's right. And I look forward to reading. It's a witch come true, isn't it? The third book. Yes, a witch come true, which again, I'm really bad with I've decided I'm just not going to ever give a book a title ever again because every title I give my books gets changed by the publisher um so um yeah so I've just given up coming up with titles now um and um I'll let I'll let Chicken House do that because they're much better at it than I am so well a witch come true was not um was not the original title as neither was a, a witch alone that was thanks to um lovely Vashti Hardy and Lorraine Gregory they helped me come up with the title for the second book yes I can Um, imagine the three of you cackling over um (laughs) we cackle over a lot of things yeah (laughs) I got that impression (laughs) but anyway thank you so much for giving me your time and I can't wait to read it when it comes out in March I have to be patient yeah not too patient you never a little bit earlier than other people I keep my fingers crossed (laughs) (laughs) lovely well thank you I'm going to say goodbye now okay Thank you very much. Bye. I'm sure you'll be very pleased to hear that I did get hold of a slightly early copy of A Witch Come True from the lovely folks at Chicken House and that it did indeed live up to all my expectations. So let me tell you a little bit about what the story is about now that it's out there in the wild and then I'll just share some of my my thoughts about it with you as well. The story starts with Ariane Wynne being reunited with her father who's just returned from fighting in the war which is now over. Christmas is coming and she's finally getting to grips with the hidden magic of the quiet glyphs that she has been discovering in the previous two titles. So everything should be looking rosy for Lull's resident witch, right? Ah, wrong. As if life as a witch wasn't tricky enough, Ariamwin also has the endless reign of winter to contend with, along with a whole host of confusing new Yule traditions to get to grips with. But now powerful dark magic has cast a shadow over Lull and its inhabitants. Enemies are coming and someone very dear to Ariamwin is about to be spirited away. Ariamwin is about to face her toughest challenge yet. Dun, dun, dun. As I am sure that you picked up through the interview with James a minute ago, I have loved the Apprentice Witch series right from the very beginning. It's full of magic and retro charm and warmth and bravery and friendship. And Ariane Wynn's Spellorium has to be somewhere near the very top of my favourite fictional locations ever. And I do still really want a copy of the Apprentice Witch's Handbook, just in case the people at Chicken House think they'd like to publish one for me. So you can imagine my delight at all of my favourite things about this series being combined with the sparkling magic of Yule Time in Lull. Crackling fires, frost fairs and the summoning of the Frost Phoenix. It was just as cosy and wonderful as I had imagined. James really is the most enchanting world builder. 
but it's not all crackling log fires and sumptuous feasts in the town of Lull over the Yuletide season. There's also, as James alluded to in his interview, gathering forces of darkness and Ariane faces some real trials and tests of herself as a witch, as a daughter and as a friend. And it was fascinating as I was reading through the story to see Ariane Wynne try and overcome the various obstacles and pressures that were put on her as the resident witch of the town of Lull. I won't tell you too much more about the book now. Um, suffice to say there's some very exciting news because the Apprentice Witch series has just been optioned by Lime Pictures who are planning to turn it into a live action drama for 8 to 12 year olds. I can't wait to see what they do with that. But to find out more of my thoughts, make sure you visit my stop on the blog tour at www.librarygirl.wordpress.com and make sure that you visit all of the other blogs on the tour as well because I have exclusive interviews and tidbits to share with you too. it for today's episode don't forget to download and subscribe so you don't miss out on next week's podcast which is about the really beautiful and culturally diverse Maisie's scrapbook which is written by Samuel Nahr and illustrated by Joe Loring Fisher and published by the brilliant small publisher Lantana Publishing I chat with Joe about the inspiration behind the illustrations and her thoughts on the importance of diversity in children's books if you want to find me on twitter or instagram i am there as at book superhero 2 you can find me on the library girl and book boy blog or even on facebook in the library girl and book boy facebook group make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss out speak to you next time bye bye